This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Eye on Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now, your host, Jessica Clement. Welcome to Eye on Washington. I am your host, Jessica Clement, and today I'm joined by Kim Weaver, Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, more commonly known as the agency that administers the Thrift Savings Plan. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jessica. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this month's episode of Eye on Washington. As you know, every month, the show looks at federal employee and retiree policy initiatives in Washington. We examine the proposals Congress, the administration, and agencies are con- and which ones have a possibility to become reality. Now, I'm going to assume that most people listening are aware of what the TSP is, but just in case, the Thrift Savings Plan is the federal government's retirement plan for federal employees, retirees, and their survivors, as well as members of the military. So, Kim, just how many people are currently participating in the TSP? We are about 25,000 shy of 7 million. So we've got 6.9 million participants. Um, About two and a half million of those are uniform services split between BRS, the new system, the blended retirement system, and the pre-blended retirement system. And the rest are FERS with a very small group of CSRS participants um, and beneficiary participants. Okay, so I just to make sure I heard you correctly, you said 7 million? Yep, 7 million. Okay. As you know, I've been out of the federal employee game for about two years now. Yes. And I served as nurse representative on the Employee Thrift Advisory Council. So these are numbers that I looked at, what, on a semi-annual basis. And right. I could swear, Kim... When I left the federal community and the whole world, the TSB had about four and a half, five million participants. More, more than that. But the thing okay. is, see, with BRS, the the military brings in between 200,000 and 250,000 new uniformed service members every year. Oh, and wow. So those people are automatically enrolled in the TSP as BRS participants. And so... Um, now, not all of them stay, right? There's a lot of cycling with uniform services, right? But nonetheless, that is really what's driving the growth in ter- in the plan, um, because that's that is a constant addition. Um, FERS employees were growing, but you know, not as quickly as the BRS uh, population. That's. Fantastic. Congratulations. I'm guessing that makes the TSP the largest retirement fund in the world by number of participants. We are. I I believe that's, you know, not I'm not sure about the number of participants, but I know by assets, we're the largest defined contribution plan in the world. Um, What do those assets look like? As of the end of November, that would be $814 billion. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably, that's the biggest retirement system in the world, right? Defined contribution. Yes. Now, that's great. And this is, how many people work at the thrift board? Like how many people administer the TSP and all those assets on a dated ballpark? Well, we have roughly 250 federal employees, but we have contractors who run our record keeping system, who provide our call center um, services, who provide our um, uh, 
forms processing, you know, all, all the transactions processing. And I would say that's been the history of the TSP from the very beginning. Um, we were an outsourced uh, entity. Originally, we were with the National Finance Center right. um, down in New Orleans. And then uh, we shifted to a private uh, private vendor. And we've had private vendors since about 2003. Um, and that's what we have today. So 7 million participants over 800 billion in assets and correct me if I'm wrong, still the lowest administrative fees of any retirement fund out there. Pretty low. Yes. Um, yes, we are. Mm -hmm. So this is the part where we just say like, you're welcome federal employees, right? (laughs) I know, I know you, you won't toot your own horn. I'll toot it for you. Well, thank you. No, we, you know, as you know, from your work on ETEC, we really, really focus on participants. We focus on keeping costs low because the lower our costs that we have to pass on to participants, the more their retirement savings grows, right? And and that's what we're all about is making sure that participants can retire with dignity. That's thank you. As as one of those participants from my whole three years on Capitol Hill, um, and go. as someone who left her money in the TSP, um, thank you. Um, sometimes I have to be reminded that I have three years of my pitiful hill salary. Well, you know, you can roll if you have other qualified money, you can roll it into the into the TSP. um, If you would like something I said, I've been needing to do for the last two years since I left NARF. And okay, well, we have a concierge service now that will help you do that. So um, feel free to either call our thrift line or log into your TSP My account and we can help you do that. Why don't we take this opportunity to tell those listening what that thrift line is? The thrift line is 877-968-3778. I don't think you guys get enough appreciation for the work you do on behalf of those 7 million people. So thank you. You're welcome. You had mentioned earlier the blended retirement system and the you know 200,000 to 250,000 new military service members coming in. Um so I want to talk a little bit about more talk a little more about the demographics of the TSP participants. I remember one of the things that I worked on uh, several years ago now was changing it for new federal employees to an opt out instead of an opt in, right? Right. So new employees are automatically enrolled in the TSP at 5% in the L fund. Is that correct? Yes. In an age appropriate L fund. Age appropriate L fund. So, and that passed what, maybe eight years ago? Yeah. Somewhere in there. I think it was 2015 actually. Yeah. I was going to say more than five, less than 10. Um, You know, this is, it's nice to reflex these federal community policy issues that I've tried to get out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) They're always handy. Always handy. Always handy. Um, so now that we have this opt out versus an opt in for the new FERS employees coming in, it's 5% into their appropriate L fund. Like how have you seen, plus the blended retirement that you mentioned earlier, how have you seen the demographics of the TSP change over, well, let's just say over those last eight years, seven what years? What we have seen is exactly what you would expect is a steady march of increase in participation rates contributing Mm -hmm. as well as a steady march of people who are contributing the full 5%. So for FERS, 95.1% are participating. Uh, 
87.7% of BRS are participating. Um, and what that means is for FERS, 87% are contributing their full 5%. Okay. Getting, so they're not leaving any money on the table. And BRS, it's 85.3. Um, and that's, that is really key to making sure that you're getting um, your employer match. Do you have a sense of how many FERS employees are participating, but not doing that? Like, where would that remaining 13% live? They would live 5% on down. Like they they could be anywhere between um, just getting your agency automatic 1% up to four and a half, right? So 4.9. And later on, I think we'll be talking about some of the things we're doing to make sure that people... um, people know that that's something that they should be looking at if they can afford to do so. You can just, you know, just send the podcast, send this broadcast far and wide, and I'm sure everyone will sign up for the DNC. There we go. There we go. We'll just promote it. Um, So one of the things I want to ask you before we start taking a deep dive into the stuff that's going on on Capitol Hill, because there is never a shortage of things to talk about that are going on on Capitol Hill. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of tell our audience what a director of external affairs does. Like, what is what is your job for the TSP? I deal with Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, I deal with our employee thrift advisory council, which is made up of 15 postal, um, federal management associations and unions. Um, I deal with other federal agencies, most notably OMB or most routinely OMB um, and pretty much anything else that, oh, and then the media. media. So hence our, our interview right now. Uh, so that's that's what I do. And, you know, it just sort of ebbs and flows as to which one is more uh, more active than others. Well, I will not ask you which is the easiest to work with between Congress and the employee groups as the one who definitely blew up your inbox for the better part of 15 years. Um, but let's talk about the Hill, right? You know, I'm still a registered lobbyist. I'm just advocating for a different group of people than I did prior to leaving NARF. Um, And the Hill is such a different place than it was five years ago. It's a different place than it was 10 when I was on the Hill, you know, 20 years ago, which I don't normally like to talk about. The Hill was a very, very different place. Like I didn't even have a Blackberry. There was no way of getting a hold of me via email when I wasn't physically sitting at my desk. So it's, it's a really different place, I think, and it's changing very quickly, I think the rash of particularly house retirements this year are, are showing that um, it's not a productive place in some ways. So what I felt like, you know, there was always something, right? It was secure 2.0 or it was investing in real estate or it was like can't invest in Chinese companies in the TSP. Like there was always something like there was always something you were working on. So there was always something we as the employee groups were working on as it related to the TSP. Like what what are you working on now with the Hill? Like, is there anything that um, you guys are really cautious about? Anything you're pro- like supporting? Anything that you think might move that's bad for TSP participants? So there's no legislation that we're proposing or advocating for at this point. Um, Secure 2.0, that as you mentioned, um, had a number of provisions that affected. Uh, all defined contribution participants, mm-hmm. including the TSP. 
um, most notably for this coming year, uh, there if if TSP participants have to take an RMD and they have money in a Roth account, a Roth TSP, they won't have to take um, an RMD from that portion of their their account. So it will come from their traditional, or if they don't have any traditional, they will not have to take an RMD. We let uh, roughly 7,000 people know that in November, that that change right. would be coming. And that's a pretty big change for people. So um, there are other provisions of the Secure 2.0 Act that we're continuing to work on, uh, none of which can come to mind at the moment. <laughs> um, uh, it is the end of December. It has been a very long month followed by a very long year followed by, you know, global pandemic. Yes. Uh, I think that's perfectly, <clears throat> excuse me, perfectly okay. And I just want to make clear, I'm not quite sure if you said it or not, um, an RMD is a required minimum distribution. And the age changed too, right? It went up to 73. So 73 in the secure. If, okay. Yes. So if you had, if you had already started at 72, then you have to continue. But for people who hadn't yet begun, it's, it moved up to 20, uh, 73 this year in 2023. Um, but you also asked about things that we're concerned about. And, and as you know, when we, um, when we uh, transitioned to our new record keeper back in June of 2022, one of the things that we offered, a new offering, was the mutual fund window, right. which allows TSP participants to take a portion of their TSP money through a window and invest in about 4,600 mutual funds. And these are Schwab funds, they're Vanguard funds, they're Fidelity mm -hmm. funds. They're not funds we sel selected, they're on a platform that is available commercially. Um, and so there have been some uh, efforts on the Hill and there's language in the House um, Financial Services General Government Bill that would say that no mutual fund that makes decisions based on environmental, social, or political right. criteria can be in the mutual fund window. Well, um, that's impossible to determine. I mean, for just as an example, if you um, if you're an insurance company and you say you're not going to offer new policies in Florida, is that? environmental because of the disasters or is that a smart business move because you're losing money because of all the disasters so there would be no way for us to make that determination and if that kind of legislation became law we would just have to stop the mutual fund um, because there's just uh there's no way for us to police 4600 mutual funds well i think after we take a quick break we can kind of dig into the chances of Congress doing appropriations bills when they come back in January. So, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. My guest today is Kim Weaver, Director of External Affairs with the TSP. I'm Jessica Clement, and you're listening to Eye on Washington on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Eye on Washington on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jessica Clement, and my guest today is Kim Weaver with the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, before the break, we were talking about Congress and ESG and appropriations and all the things that Congress wants to make a 
political statement on that perhaps they would like to do so through the TSP. So in the were you talking about the House bill, House Appropriations Mm -hmm. wants to limit certain investments that TSP participants can invest in, correct? Through the mutual fund window, yes. Um, And I assume your office and the employee groups are doing some outreach as to how that is challenging? Yeah, it will. It's more than challenging. It's impossible. I mean, it really is literally impossible. Our office of investments has about seven, eight people in it. And again, these are not mutual funds that we design. These are mutual funds that are offered by Vanguard and Fidelity and Schwab. And so our ability to like look into those mutual funds and say somebody's made a decision based on an ESG criteria is literally non-existent. Um, And so, yes, we have educated people on the Hill about the the real issues involved in in implementing this kind of thing. Um, But to your point, given the opacity of the (laughs) appropriations process at the moment. Don't you like that phrase? I do. I really like it. I'm going to use it. Thank you. Um, It's really hard to know like what's going to happen and what's going to unfold. And again, to your point, it's in the House bill. It's not in the Senate bill. So um, we will obviously be active in January as these things get discussed. But yeah, I have no no idea how it's all going to result. how a laddered CR at two different time periods is going to play out come January when Congress has any number of priorities it also needs to tackle. Because um, that that's just a little bit. I was not going to ask you to predict to predict the likelihood of this happening as People ask me all the time and have asked me over the years, hey, so what do you think is going to happen? Now, as you know, you and I have known each other a long time. I love to talk about my opinions, but my common refrain is when somebody says, like, what is Congress going to do? I usually say, look, if I knew the answer to that, I probably wouldn't be a nonprofit lobbyist. I would be somewhere <laughs> else making a lot well, more there's money. That. It's, but also what I've come to say is this year, every prediction I have made about an outcome has been pretty much wrong. Mm-hmm. So I have stopped making predictions. Uh, people at the office are like, what do you think? And I'm like, I have no idea. Um, I have no doubt that Mike Johnson was probably the most Googled person during those speaker debates than any anyone else. Like, I would have I would have put money on two government shutdowns by now. Um, the last one and the one before that. I you're right. Predicting this Congress is impossible. Yep, it's just I, a not a not an upside to that kind of guess. That said, I do think it is entirely unlikely that whatever appropriations bills need to be passed by the January deadline that is currently set is probably not going to happen either. And we're probably looking at another CR. <clears throat> I don't think that is, but. What do I know? I'm probably wrong on that too. It was wrong the other two times. That's it. That's I, my guess was government shutdowns as well. And, you know, very happy that that did not happen. But, but again, while we're on that subject, you know, the TSP is not appropriated. We're, we're self-funded. And so should there be a shutdown, we will be primed and ready to serve TSP participants should they need TSP assistance always serves as a nice reminder to federal employees and retirees what services continue in a government shutdown and what do not. 
Yes. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So in our remaining time, I really want to talk about the social science projects that the Thrift Savings Plan is undertaking. Uh, you sent me the results before this interview. I found them fascinating. You know, the decisions people make, why they make them is very interesting to me as, you know, the token extrovert here. So let's let's start with why is there a social scientist at the TSP to begin with? Well, there's one there because, um, as you may have heard, you know, behavioral economics is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to get people to take action that's in their best, enlightened self best interest is something that everybody's um, interested in. And our responsibility is to make sure that our participants are aware of the benefits of savings and the benefits of TSP. And so we have an incredibly smart woman on staff who designs um, a variety of outreach efforts to uh, our participants and, and we test them to see which message is the most effective. Uh, and recently we did um, a test that, that um, put three separate messages out. You're leaving money on the table. We reframed it in terms of dollars a day. This is what others in your similar circumstances are doing. Um, and so we we sent a, a group of roughly 9,300 emails. And uh, excuse me, we looked at a population of 9,300 people. A quarter of them got no email, a quarter of them got the peer influence, a quarter of them got dollars per day, and a quarter of them got the money on the table. And after three months, looking at it versus the group of participants who didn't get an email, the money on the table got was 22% higher contributions. The peer information peer information was 22.6% higher, but dollars per day was 25.5% higher. Um, and so the dollars per day was clearly the, the message that had more uh, resonance for the recipients. And what that led to was a roughly $80 per month increase in contributions, which over the time between these participants and age 65 is going to be roughly $40,000. So um, what that tells us is better ways of communicating with our participants, better ways of messaging to them. And uh, again, we're constantly testing, testing these different messages to try and see what... Um, is clearer because again, we all get a million billion emails, right? And and most people just delete them. I, well, at least I do. Mm -hmm. um, right. I just um, started hitting delete in my personal yes. inbox because I can't like I don't care if I get 50% off. Like I, I, I can't think about this. Exactly. And so trying to make sure that uh, we have when when the TSP sends out emails to our participants, we have a very high open rate. Um, and we want to make sure that the information that we're delivering to participants when they're taking the time to open the email is useful and actionable. Um, and that's what our social scientist is helping us do. That's fantastic. So 
you, the messaging with this dollars per day, that was the one that resonated the most, right? Mm -hmm. What did that message look like? That message looked like. It's just like, if you contribute this much by this date, you could have this much more money. Or is it something like if you just gave a dollar a day, you know, how many times have we heard, um, well, if you just gave up your daily coffee habit, you could save X number of money. Was it along those lines? It was um, for someone saving 50,000 annually, 5% is about $7 a day. Okay. And that was the type of messaging that went out um, for those, those participants. Mm -hmm. And again, that resonated apparently because people did begin contributing more than the control group that didn't receive the, the email. Okay. So about 25% of those who received this email started contributing more. Was that the takeaway? Yes. Okay. And this is fairly new for the TSP, right? Like I remembered conversations that we would have in ETAC about like who bears the responsibility for encouraging people to invest in the TSP to do at least that 5%, you know, to do a minimum of 5% to get the full match. Is it the employee groups? Is it the TSP? Is it, is it all of us? Right. So have you undertaken some sort, this is pretty new, right? Well, having a social scientist on board is is relatively new. We've always tried that kind of messaging, but what we didn't have before is sort of the rigor to be able to evaluate what messaging is most useful okay. and um, and what messaging is is leading people to take action. Um, and that's what's really new. This is fantastic. So where, what's next in the social science realm? Is it identifying different people? You know, you said you identified about 9,300 people that got these different messages. I'm looking here, median age was about 45. They were active um, federal employees making under a certain dollar amount. Um, Is it, where do we go from here? What's next? What we do is we incorporate sort of the proven messaging into the standard messaging that we send out, right? So to your point um, of targeting a certain group of participants, now we know that this message is probably the one that we should use to send out to that group of participants. And our social scientist will continue to develop new testing for a variety, like, for example, um, catch-up contributions, Mm -hmm. just informing people of what they are and that they're eligible. Uh, A lot of people don't understand catch-up contributions don't actually mean you're catching up on anything. (laughs) Um, It's it's a terrible misnomer, but what it, it, it is, is if you're 50 and above, it gives you the opportunity to contribute more than someone who's not 50 yet. Uh, so you can enhance your savings for retirement. I think we take for granted or assume that people know things about these things and they just don't, right? So education is a great first step and it's really encouraging to see the TSP doing more of that. Um, As always, a half an hour flew by. Um, So it is time to wrap up our show today. First, let me thank my guest, Kim Weaver of the TSP It was so great to see you again. Thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, Jesse. I really appreciated it. And I'm Jessica Clement. You've been listening to Eye on Washington on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Eye on Washington on Federal News Radio. 
part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and all of our past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>